so today on the clubhouse, I've got my very good friend, Ted Lee. Ted is uh, someone that I met uh, in my stint at Oakley. He was always a level above me, and he's a level above me in many, many different things. Uh, but he's moved on, and I've been dying to actually talk to Ted. Um, all transparency, Ted is on my board of advisors for my software company, I Trust him for so many different pieces of advice um, because he's a really smart businessman. Um, so Ted, welcome. Hey. To the clubhouse. Yes. Thanks hey. for having me. Yes. Good yeah. to see you. Yes. I've been dying. I, I Thank you. Yes. Good to see you. Last time I saw you was with dinner uh, with your beautiful wife in yeah. Newport and it was fantastic. That was back about a month ago. And, uh, and your beautiful wife too. Card. And your beautiful yeah, my wife. beautiful wife. Yes. You're Thank better you. Now. I lost my credit. Yeah, I lost my credit card that night. So if I find out that you've been putting charges on it, I'm coming after you. Um, <laughs> Pay my regulator bill. It's all there. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Um, so I've been dying to talk to you. And I want to really, I'm going to tell you why I want to talk to you. You've been, and we're going to go back into sort of how Ted became Ted. Um but I'm dying to talk to you because you were always in the business management sales side of things in all the big organizations you worked at. You worked at Oakley, you worked at um, Quicksilver, Roxy, um, and whatever else was underneath them at the time. And you were very high up in these organizations as a sales lead. You are now, um, the Ted Lee I know has always had like a few side hustles in the game. You very purposefully did not go back to another large brand, but you went into your consulting work that you're doing for a bunch of different brands. You started your own fin company. You started consulting for Black Rifle and then saw such great opportunity that you bought some franchises and you're standing up Black Rifle franchises. You're the ultimate in hustler businessman, but you moved from the big corporate world of sales into having to execute a whole bunch of marketing stuff yourself. And I know the answer to this. Marketing is complicated, and I believe you found out it's like physically more logistically cumbersome than I believe you ever thought it would be. So I've been dying to talk to you because there's not many people I can talk to and ask, you know, like, hey, you were, you know, you were in this really high-end sales spot, and things in marketing would just kind of happen because it's a different department. Now you, you, you are actually actively doing that on all sorts of different levels in your consulting work. Sometimes it's very, you know, still largish brands. Uh, but in your smaller stuff in black, your black rifle stuff in your fin company, now you're physically doing these things yourself and it's a completely different world. So for someone who is an absolute Jedi master, in the sales world and business management to now have to learn all the marketing stuff. I find that really interesting. So today's going to be fun for me because I get to ask all sorts of questions. Yeah. Um, can you run past um, where you started young Ted, how you got into Oakley, all that sort of stuff. I don't know really your history that well, other than my first interaction with you when we sort of met each other at Oakley. So fill me in. Yeah, I'll fill you in um, and then I'll kind of talk to you, kind of hit your question on kind of my, my experience with marketing. But I started at Oakley in 98. I was actually going to USC uh, getting my, my MBA. And I was, going to, I was going to get my MBA to go make money. Um, so what should I do? So I was looking at corporate finance. I was looking at investment banking. And I was going down that track. Um, and there was one student that was, was working at Oakley. Um, and she's like, hey, we got this amazing role. It's a, it's a territory manager position for Asia PAC. Um, you could run the territory, mm -hmm. learn the business, uh, travel, stay at hotels for free, eat for free. So kind of the, 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 like the different things that I valued at that time was like, get to see the world um, kind of on a company budget. Um, and and the, the mm -hmm. biggest selling point was that it had a full court basketball court when I interviewed there. So um I literally made a big decision. I use this a lot when I talk to, you know, people of, of, of choices you make in life, you know, from people who work for me or 
peers or even my kids is, is I got lucky and chose a job because of passion um, and something that actually sparked like, like, like something that, that I would have fun with. So instead of like, so I chose between going down the corporate finance or which I had job offers at probably 40% higher in salary than I was going to make at Oakley. And I took the Oakley job and I think it was just, I just got lucky. And I, I ended up in a great brand um, that was still growing. Um, I believe the business was about 300 million at that time. They're probably about 1.8 when I left um, and just got at the right time. Uh, and that's kind of how I started at Oakley in the international department, managing the Asia, Asia pack territory. Um, okay. And then since then, I just, you know, I just kind of figured out how to, to grow within the business and became international director, VP of international, and then eventually pivoted to run uh, North America when uh, the Oakley business regionalized. And I go, I need to go, I'd like to learn and do something different. So I, I pivoted to the U.S., um, and you know, most of my time was at from 98 to 2009 was spent going internationally, being on planes, traveling, amazing experience, amazing time, but it was time for me to learn something new and learn a new market, which was the U S. Uh, and so that's when I pivoted over to the U S. Um, and then kind of go into your question where, you know, wouldn't it, you know, mostly sales. I actually, when I took the U S role, um, we were creating a subsidiary. And so when you create a subsidiary, yeah. you're like, okay. Okay, Ted, you've managed subsidiaries for years. You, you, it's run, you run your own entity. You have a P&L. You're managing a budget. You're held accountable to the bottom line where I was able to actually take that experience and go in the U.S., carve out customer service, carve out marketing, carve out a very small finance team and create a subsidiary within the U.S. So we became our own subsidiary within corporate. So now you could actually measure us against other subsidiaries and have the same process and same plan. And actually have more control in your destiny and included marketing where marketing sat in this big global budget they managed it they did the stuff for the us there was a team on the global team that did stuff for the us so we took those dedicated us people uh, and brought them over to to manage the uh the us part of the business um which actually was the segue to one of your good friends pierre martin who actually was the head of marketing um i think moved down from canada to head up that that marketing division for yeah. the us specifically and i think that was probably an interesting moment in time as far as my career is like, hey, you got this time to reset. Like, what would you do differently? And the funniest thing I did, not funniest thing, is, is, is something is like, I got I to figure out how to get sales and marketing to work together. And it sounds super easy to say, hey, you know, let's just build plans <laughs> together and create alignment. No, no, no. So, you know, at the time we were actually redesigning the, the office spaces and cues. And I go, and we know Pierre. All right. And I said, okay, I'm going to put my head of sales and my head of marketing next to each other. They're going to share a wall. They're going to see each other every morning. They're going to have to talk to figure out what is marketing doing to help sales. And I think Pierre would say that was probably a great experience for himself to say, hey, I learned a lot about sales. You know, and I think when after that time at Oakley, Pierre would say, I know how to run, I know how to run a business. I know how to run a subsidiary. I know what sales goes through. You know, when, when sales, when a marketing person talks sales speak, there's magic that automatically happens, right? Um, and I think automatically, was, yeah. So I think that was one of the key successes to kind of that my my time running the North America region, reorganizing it, um, and, and really driving a, a focused strategy, which part of it included a very strong go to market process and strong alignment between sales and marketing. And, and, and even detail between focus between, you know, regions and even focus between channels, especially versus key accounts. So really got granular on, on how does a marketing process to go to market tools and it ends up being the POP and the stories you're telling by channel, by region uh, and time of year. So that was, uh, that was kind of that segue into marketing for myself in a bigger way. Yeah. And, and you, it's funny because when I'm talking marketing, and I'm going to go back to your your thing, but when you're talking, when I'm talking marketing and you're really in it, I mean, you're like ground level in it. For your fin company, which I want to talk about, yeah. you're literally uh, designing displays and you're picking brand colors and you're at photo shoots and you are setting up the displays and where am I going to store the displays? And like, how do we actively have to do these things? And in a lot a lot of instances, these things are uh, not 
they're transparent at the higher levels. These things just happen. Um, and so when you actually have to get in and do them, you get into the logistic muck of what trade marketing is, which you, you know as well as anything because you're on the board of my company that does it. And at Oakley, you guys uh, were uh, not just a client, but my proving ground for our product that we launched within your guys' brand to control that stuff, which allowed Oakley to scale at unprecedented rates against their competitors. Um, back to what you guys were talking about, just so everyone understands the actual magnitude of what Ted did when he was at Oakley. Global, uh, everything's in one giant office in Foothill Ranch at Oakley. It's amazing. Look up the office. In fact, producer Jazz will put a picture of the Oakley head office up. The footprint's insane. It's a beautiful building. Global was... Uh, running the U.S. market and then Canada and, you know, Mexico, Canada was a subsidiary, uh, Europe, you know, there's places in Europe that were subsidiaries. Ted took the United States market, which is arguably the largest marketplace for Oakley, and pulled it out of global, separated the staff out physically in the building and set up basically a separate business unit so that it could be measured very equally against the other ones that are other subsidiaries that are standing alone in their own buildings. So it was a fairly cumbersome, I remember that period and it was cumbersome and it was painful. And before that global would operate transparently into the U S market because it was the largest marketplace. Um, and so it was a lot tougher. You had, you guys had to make the decision to sort of put that paper wall up to stop that like free flow of like either budgets or ideas or you utilizing the us as just a weird test market that had to stop and yeah. you, you did that you also ended up when luxotica asked you to do it you had to stand yourself up thin the machine down and also org when you're cleaning up the organization you cleaned yourself up and out like mm -hmm. you literally organized you when you did the org you had a, a expiration date on your own job uh, to move on into the future because that was the correct thing you had to do at the time, which I always felt, uh, you don't talk about it a ton. Um, but to me, that's like, you're literally taking your own job away for the betterment of what that organizational plan that you put in place was, which is impressive. And most people don't know that you did that or understand that that's actually a thing that people sometimes have to put themselves in. We have yep. a bunch of like, it's an interesting conversation because we have uh, a young staff and we have lots of young listeners and there's lots of people that would kill to be in your spot. And sometimes people don't understand. It's like when you become a, a VP, you know, above director or your VP or you're moving towards the C-suite, your job becomes more and more, uh, tenuous and easier to not easier to replace, but it becomes more fragile as you go up. And sometimes you get put in weird positions where it's like, well, I guess I have to make the decision that my role actually disappears for the better part of keeping this organism, which is this brand super healthy. Um, so I always find that insane, but that's part of high-end corporate culture. From brand development to simple market executions, 54Blue helps brands of all sizes grow with sustainability in mind. Their full-stack range of services include print, fabrication, design, web, interactive, content marketing, brand consulting, creative strategy, and more. Join some of the world's largest brands and lean on 54Blue for your next go-to-market. Visit 54Blue.com for more information. So, okay, so you were going to school like a good boy, uh, getting your MBA. I did not go the same path. I went a completely different path. Um, you have this formal sort of education and business knowledge. You did, from my perspective, you're one of my favorite people that ever ran the organization in North America. Thank you, you. you. It was clean. Everything was... Um, and this is no offense, because uh, Joe, you know, I had Jose as a boss, and all these people. I love Jose. Everyone was great, but you were like, you're. That's why you're. I think we're friends. Is you're crystal clear. There's no fucking around. It's like here's the answer, and then if I bring you something, or if you bring me something, and there's any form of uh, ambiguity or we're not 100% sure, you just bring it up. You know, I, I'm not sure on this, but this is where I think. And it's, there's no, 
like you approach all this stuff really stripped of ego, which is an interesting path, which I appreciate because it just gets you to a faster, quicker thing, whatever it is that you're doing. So um, that's enough kissing your boots on that because I think you were great there. Um, you then moved on and you did a few other things. While you're doing this, though, just in your personal world, you and your wife uh, started collecting properties and started like staging your wife's business, which is renting out these amazing beach houses, which I just did. And if you're down in the Newport area, get a hold of Ted's wife, Lisa Lee, and let's rent one of their places. It is unbelievable. And they are immaculate and perfect and way better experience than I've ever had staying in an Airbnb than any of the hotels I've stayed in. It was great. Um, I think we're on the fourth jetty from the pier in Newport, like literally spitting distance from the, from the break. Uh, It's unbelievable. If you surf, it's the, it's the place to be. Um, So you're raising a family, you're doing all those things. You have two boys, correct? Three. Three boys. Holy moly. (laughs) Okay. Active active, active life. Um, you guys are, you're doing all this. You end up over at Quicksilver and, and you end up back in, it was a VP in North American sales. Is that what it was? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. So as VP in North American sales in Quicksilver and the time that you landed there was after the crash of the surf industry. So if anyone listening doesn't understand how bad the surf industry hit the skids, just do a little bit of Googling and you'll figure it out really quickly. An industry, Ted, what was the overall industry sort of valuation at in High Point? I don't know. I, mean, I don't want to guess. I'm not sure how overall what would it be. I don't know what your guess would be, but I mean, if I look at those brands today, they're 2 billion. So if I look at the rest, you know, I don't know, call it an $8 billion market, maybe kind of today. It. Yeah. And I got to assume at high point, it was close to a 50, 50 billion marketplace. Like it was really, really healthy. Yeah. It was riding, riding the waves, Quicksilver, Roxy, Volcom, Billabong, um, all of them, Hurley, you, you name yeah, it. Hurley. All, all of them were riding. And yeah, they're like all crazy. riding in that. Yeah, growing like crazy and riding in the wake or potentially being the forerunners for that fast fashion forever 21 esque style stuff that was coming down the pipe where you're um, you're replacing your, your as a consumer, you're replacing your T-shirts and these things seasonally and you're either giving them away or you're you're just backlogging these things, God knows where in your closet or or whatever you're doing with them, but you're rotating through these fashions so quick. It's one of the reasons it's called fast fast fashion was economical ish. And then you just sort of burn through it. Terrible on the environment, obviously, um, because the textile industry isn't great as it is. However, it was a thing that was going on. Um, But the fashion component of the surf, snow, skate world hit the skids and it literally almost overnight, everyone was, every brand was massively over inventoried overnight. And there's, you know, like I remember rumors of a couple of the brands hiding inventory in the port and in containers, just like there's so much of this stuff. They're just like, "Mm." and they just had backlogs of, of this stuff. So you would have come into this, still amazing brand and brands as you and I know really well, don't go anywhere. Brands will live forever. Like our friend, mutual friend, Nick Woodhouse, who I don't know if it's actually a done deal, but I know that they're back and forth on buying different brands all the time. Um, They go in and they buy semi-distressed brands, uh, whether it's economical issues or um, the brands have just fallen out of favor. Uh, They come in and they, blow air into these, you know, buy them, blow air back into them and stand them back up. Brands rarely disappear. I can only think of a few over the years that have actually like completely gone. Logos never get used again. Um, Quick and Roxy obviously will be around most likely forever. Um, It most likely will never go away. It'll be varying sizes depending on what fashion everything dictates. So you landed there 
uh, in a broken, you landed in a broken ship to, to try pull sails back out. What was like, what were your challenges when you landed? What, when, what was the year and what did you have to do right away? So just to, to give you some context of what kind of how broken the ship was, um, I had, you know, you, you can backtrack it to when Quicksilver bought Rosignol and that, um, I think when they bought that company, it, I think they had two bad winters in a row, especially in Europe, which a lot of the business was coming from. And it just put them in a really bad situation from that point. Um, and, and, you know, when I joined in 15, they were just servicing the debt still, you know, the brands were gone, they sold off for whatever on the dollar. Um, so that was going on. And then, um, and then going back to the boom, when the boom was happening, um, everyone went aggressive with retail. So Quicksilver had stores in Times Square, right? High rent, but when it was working, it was working. Um, and, you know, and, and even it was still the bubble of these big contracts with athletes. So I kind of went into a place where it's like, hey, we got to really restructure the sucker, right? If we want this brand to, to live, we want to get, we want to see another day. We want to protect the staff, protect the brand, protect our retailers. Um, we got to get pretty aggressive. So it was like, you know, I, um, Greg Healy hired me and we were looking at every single opportunity to get the right size of ship, get it back to break even and get it back to profitable. Um, and so, you know, looking at closing stores, um, what stores do you close? What's the cost? Uh, athlete contracts, um, restructuring sales, um, looking at sales operations, looking at efficiency around sales operations, you know, looking at chargebacks and some of the costs that we were incurring. So looking at everywhere to kind of bring cash back into the PL um, so you can actually start to grow the business. So I joined them in the middle of 2015. So left Oakley after a long stint uh, and and kind of and went to went to Quicksilver, uh, which was Quicksilver Rocks in DC. Um, a, because love of the brand, like to your point, I grew up with the brand, you know, when I was in junior high, it's like, listen, these brands aren't going anywhere. And if I looked at the brands, they haven't, they weren't bastardized in the marketplace. It's just, it was like Quicksilver. I just, it's there. It's got a nice, it's got shelf space and all the right retailers. It just wasn't a lot of energy behind it, but it wasn't, there was no good, there wasn't really a ton of good energy or bad energy. Right. So it was just like, yeah, it's just, it's a good brand. It's, it's, it's solid. So I was excited to kind of join the team. Um, and uh, trying to figure out how to turn it around. Um, and then if you look, if I fast forward a little bit, you know, aggressively trying to cut costs, get to a good place, hire some key people. Um, and then I think it was, what's it? It was at the end of 2015, which was a little sooner than I thought would happen. Um, we filed we filed for bankruptcy. Um, and, uh, and then we've really quickly um, with uh, a partner called Oak Tree um, with some dip financing and some help and, and, them actually helping us get through it and being the, the future owner. I think it happened in what, call it five months. Um, so that happened pretty <laughs> quickly. Um, yeah, it's and, fast. Uh, it was pretty fast and we were, you know, but I think, if, you know, a lot of that. And so a lot of the work that we were doing prior continued through, you know, Oak Tree's ownership, you know, getting the business in the right place, getting it back to profitability um, and, and also growing sales. Right. And, and, and the way I, what I liked about it is, is growing sales again, building trust with your, your retail partners and, and really building the culture, culture back. Right. So I think if you look at it prior to me joining and Greg Healy and Pierre, the CEO, um, they've only been in place for two, three months. So they got rid of the old regime, which was a bunch of outsiders from Nike and Disney and da, da, da. Um, and, and really didn't do justice to the brand. I'm trying to be somewhat politically correct because it doesn't doesn't really matter. Um, but, uh, you know, the old school took it back. Under, you know, and when you see you have old school, you have like surfers, you have authentic, but also want to run the business, you know, and run the business profitably, right? So it's not the uh, free-for-all spending, but it was like, okay, let's, we, let's protect the brands. We love what we do, um, but let's get it to a good place as far as business. Um, so there's some some profit in the business, so we can actually reinvest and start to grow and start to innovate, um, which which actually brought excitement to these brands in in the first place. Um, so that that was yeah, that was my time. It was pretty pretty gnarly. Um, 
you know, wasn't a lot of fun for me and others and people work with me for the first six months because we had to make some really tough decisions pretty fast. Um, but we came out of it and, uh, you know, we started growing sales and, you know, I, I think it was at 16, we had a good, at 16, we had a good year, 17, we hit our budget, which was probably the first time ever. Um, and wow. we were kind of, we're kind of on our way. Um, and, and things were starting to yeah, look good. And then Oak tree at one point, there was like this uh, sort of amalgamation of surf brands going on. They, I believe it was Oak tree turned around and bought billabong or took over the debt of billabong. So they, they, uh, Oak Tree was already an, an investor in Billabong prior to to Quicksilver, so sure. they started to understand the space. Um, they saw the opportunity, and so when they when they did the Quicksilver deal, they they stepped down from the board of Billabong, but still had ownership of it. Um, and then they did the Quicksilver thing. So that kind of fast forward to call it was it twenty eighteen? Then Quicksilver or end up acquiring the, the Billabong brands. Yeah, um, that, was, yeah. that happened in eighteen. So we're that <clears throat> it's an interesting space because it will come back. Um, and for people that don't understand, um, the world of action sports is a semi-unique thing. You need to, uh, well, it's just the way the world works. You need computer people inside of a computer company to be excited about the product of computers. You can't just put a guy from Nike inside of a computer company and think that they're going to be able to move the needle just because they came from some other pedigree of an amazing brand. Ted was speaking to, you know, getting rid of, well, not get rid of, but changing the leadership back to authentic surfers who are also businessmen who can then make decisions for the brand from more of an authentic standpoint. Because if you've got $20 to spend and you've got someone in there that doesn't understand the culture, they're going to spend that $20 in the wrong fucking spot. Guaranteed almost every time they're going to pick an initiative that looks like something that they would understand or know. And if that person came from Whirlpool, well, then they're going to probably do some sort of weird consumer level promo and spend that money there versus investing, let's say, into a, a surf contest or, you know, something more authentic against the brand. Um, and that's a really uh a space Ted that I know you've seen brands fall flat on their face when the incorrect leadership gets in that doesn't understand the culture. They may understand business. They may be amazing business people, but they just, the, the culture fit is just completely wrong. Uh, and for anyone out there who's trying to get into either marketing or sales at a high end level at, in a branded world, please, for God's sake, look for a culture fit that you actually like. If you don't like the product, yeah, you'll have an okay job, but it's a job. But if you're a surfer and you love it, then go into that world because you'll have a way better, way more interesting career because you're surrounded by people who have the exact same passions as you. And a lot of people, if you're chasing money, it's a different story. If you're chasing a good life, it's a completely different path to, to go where you want. And Ted, you referenced that on your own career where you could have been in finance. You could have literally been one of the Oak tree guys. You could have been, that could have been one of the positions you ended up in as a VC out finding opportunities. Cause you're really shrewd with that. Um, but you picked where you wanted to go lifestyle wise and made your life in that world. So uh, for anyone listening, it's just a hell of a good life lesson to, to understand. Um, so you're quick, everything's getting righted, uh, everything's moving along, world starts changing a little bit. Um, and I know, I don't know exactly when you left quick, how did, how did that work out? And then you went into the rest, the next part of your career and started designing uh, a fin product, a swim fin, like a body surfing fin called single, which is amazing. I've got a pair of them in my office here. They're really, really cool. Um, how did that happen for you? Yeah, well, let me, um, yeah, so I left quick at the end of 2019 and actually I was advising, um, a CEO of a company called Latote, which is a woman's based subscription apparel business. So I was like, Hey, mm. you know, talk about transformation, transformation, change management. Um, you know, and they were trying to figure some things out with their business. It was a, it was a subscription, it was a VC backed business. I was losing money for seven years. Um, and so they needed to do something pretty drastic to survive. 
And so they ended up acquiring Lord and Taylor um, right. for some deal, which was another distressed business that Hudson Bay was trying to um, to get rid of and probably go a little more premium with their distribution of department stores. Um, so there was kind of a, I don't know, it was kind of like two third place teams getting together to see if we can <laughs> make something a little bit better. <laughs> And, uh, you know, it's just, and, and it just, it just was, it ended up working out where, you know, the, the things at, at quick were kind of, kind of ending, ending up and, and I just, you know, and, uh, I found an opportunity to kind of go run this new organization. It was a lot of risk. It was, um, wasn't an easy job, you know, cutting a bunch of costs again. Um, I think it was like 200 million we had to cut out of the business, um, but it was it was pretty gnarly, and then it that ended pretty quickly. So on the, in the meantime, I was also approached on singles, which I'll, I'll, I'll segue to that. But yep. um, you know, COVID hit, um, so I started let's say this new job in January of 2020. I mean, we all know when COVID hit, um, and uh, yeah, so this thing kind of ended right pretty quickly, right? Because it was two third place teams, you know, not a lot of cash, a lot of inventory. A lot of overhead, um, and it just wasn't um, it just wasn't uh, meant to be um, based on kind of the, the, what happened to the world and shutting down all the department stores and furloughing all the staff. Um, so that kind of, that my 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 shortest my only and shortest tenure so far as a CEO was four months or something like that, um, right. and so that so that allowed me to like you know and then I started I dug in deep on on single, which was a fin company. And I realized, um, you know, taking some of my Oakley experience, like, Hey, don't just go make another widget just to have another widget that might just be a different color. But if you can find mm -hmm. an opportunity to say, Hey, I think I can make a product better than anything else out there today. Right. Like, okay. And so, you know, I, I've got these two great partners that have full back in manufacturing material expertise. Um, and we're able to build an innovative fit. Right. A fin that it has, you know, a fin that does not exist in the marketplace today. You know, a fin that's built on a foot or last a fin that has silicone, which is less abrasive to the skin, but doesn't float. We were able to make it float. Right. So a lot of things uh, in the product what was exciting. So like a lot of my time was spent on, on building the product uh, and making sure it was innovative. There was a story to tell behind it um and, and create a market right and and it's interesting people say well why fins oh, well i think we saw an opportunity to make a better fin not a huge market um as far as body surfing but uh i thought it was just going to be fun to build it and then find ways to grow from there right you know i think we're going to start segueing into the swim market which is a bigger market um so now you have body surfing and swim we're actually testing the product with swimmers right now and getting pretty good feedback so um, yeah, so it's just kind of like, you know, and, some, and kind of going to singles, like sometimes your first intention kind of morphs into different things. I mean, kind of going back to the Oakley days, you know, when they're, you know, how do they end up in sunglasses from goggles, right? from grips to sunglasses. And so anyways, a lot of things kind of evolve as you get in the space and you just have to be, you know, open-minded to kind of see those opportunities and, and kind of lean in and kind of get in it back to marketing is, you want to have to have a story that's authentic again and, and, and learn my days at Oakley of having innovative product. Um, you know, is it, the easiest story to tell, right? You can yeah. just, you know, I mean, hands down, Oakley had the best products. They tested against competitors and would outshine them and everything. So, I mean, this sales wasn't hard um, when you have something that amazing. So that was the same mentality that I had going into single. Um, yeah. And, you know, here we are, you know, we've got the product and we had our first summer last year. We're going into our second summer this year and expecting great things. Yeah. The product looks amazing. Um, it's available in retail in Southern California and a few different locations. And I'm sure you guys are expanding that. So everyone keep their eyes out for that. Mm -hmm. uh, what's the web URL for that? Uh, the, uh, the the singleco.com. Jazz will put that up on the screen uh, for everyone. Everyone should go take a look at it. It's a really cool um, fin. fact that it's got a proprietary silicone that floats uh, with all sorts of really cool applications for that is amazing. Yep. Um, so you're kind of running around, you're doing a bunch of consulting. Um, 
you're doing a few things now. So you are out doing what you do best, which is um, helping companies innovate in the operational and then sales and then tagging everything else in. You're involved with a suit company called Alton Lane, mm-hmm. where you're doing some consulting uh, um, for them. Uh, it's a, a direct consumer um, suit company, but they are ever growing into brick and mortar. So I know that you guys are standing up some Dillard's locations and that sort of stuff with this. And it's a completely unique business model. Do you want to just, while we're on this topic, just give Alton Lane a little shout out on sort of what you guys are doing there? Yeah, just to just give you the quick quick, uh, intro to Alton Lane. Started in 09 um, and really started with a showroom-based custom bespoke suit business. You go in there, you get measured, mm. you got, you know, you spend an hour in there, you have a cocktail, you've got ESPN on the TV, you're getting measured, you're getting your custom suit. You're walking out of there with a, a, a beautiful, um, it, you know, measured up suit. I guess it probably take, it took about probably two, six, eight weeks to get delivered. Um, when you would go into these showrooms with that great experience. Um, and for them, COVID hit and they're like, shoot, what are we going to do? We can't have people come in the showroom. So they pivoted to this platform. And now they've actually take, taken all those measurements and all those patterns. And let's let's put it in, let's put it into a database, and let's figure out how we actually can do custom suits. Now you know the, the the tag is like you can design your suit in two minutes and get it delivered in two weeks. So yours should be showing up any day now, Jamie. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, it's it's pretty amazing experience, and, and the experience with Dillard's is you know is you know you know they're selling you know like some of these places are selling five to ten suits a day. People are going, what is this? And it's actually bringing the, the custom suit program to the mainstream consumer, where it used to be that 5%er that would get that custom suit. You, you might have it done locally. You might have a contact in Hong Kong. But now it's like, hey, we can do it in a Dillard's, which is a, a pretty mainstream department store. Get measured up. You know, Pick your lining. Pick your monogram. Get your measurements dialed in because everyone's tops and bottoms are different. Um, and, and dial it in um, at a very at the same at the same cost you would buy a shoot off the rack. So why would you ever buy a shoot off the rack? So, you know, I think the goal with Dillard's is at some point, you know, they don't expect, you know, let's cut half the inventory and just do all this custom stuff, especially we can deliver in a timely manner. Right. And especially and, and part of our sales pitch is like, listen, why would you carry all this inventory? You can do in, in this little, you know, four by in this little three by six space. We can do this type of volume with no inventory risk no end of line inventory um, and, and, and create that great customer experience. So I think that the challenge is, 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 it's just time. It's like, it's just, you know, get creating awareness uh, and letting and it grow, let it grow. Right. So part of our strategy now is to kind of, how do we tap into the colleges and how do we go? How do we get people who are like, let us be your first suit, right? Cause once you get us as your first suit, why would you go buy, why would you go to a, you know, I'm not going to name any doors, buy anything off the rack that you're like, oh, this, I got to get it fitted. It doesn't fit right. Um, yeah, I got to bring this in. I got to shorten the legs versus getting it perfect off the, off the uh, Alton Lane uh, platform. So pretty exciting opportunity for those guys. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a really cool product. I am excited to get my suit. I ordered it. I've got a, four weddings this summer that I have to go uh, to. Um, Nice. Got to be dressed up, so I needed a new suit for the summer. So there's my new suit. So at least I'm not wearing the same thing at every uh, every wedding. Does your brand need some help in the trade marketing department? Manage your sales tools with Regulator's easy-to-use features. Whether it's fixtures or displays, POP, custom art or promo products, you can submit single or bulk orders for all your locations within minutes using a simple, streamlined process. Deliver content, manage your budget and view the market, all from the palm of your hand. Move up to 10 times faster than your competitors and capture all the opportunities that put your brand on top. Visit brandregulator.com for more information. If anyone doesn't know, Black Rifle Coffee Company is a U.S.-based, veteran-owned and run coffee company and if you go into any of their standalone like neighborhood stores which there's you know a bunch in and around sort of uh let's say texas arizona feel like i think that's primarily ted where locations are sort of stood up right now is that yeah 
a lot in Texas, um, Arizona, um, Florida is, is a big market for them in, in Tennessee. Those are their kind of the key Perfect. Markets. Yeah. Very, very America. Um, and if you walk in, it's hard not to feel, uh, the American pride in these locations. They are beautifully appointed. Um, they are for the troops, by the troops, for America. Um, and the coffee is extraordinarily good. Uh, all the coffee is hand, like custom roasted in Salt Lake. Is that right? Uh, some is done in Salt Lake, but most of it's done in Clarksville, Tennessee. Very cool. Um, interesting brand. The owners are really cool. The owners have been on uh, Joe Rogan's podcast uh, a couple times. And that whole thing has sort of blown up into a a really interesting business. Now you've <laughs> on the Ted Lee hustle, you're involved with, I believe some partners where you guys are opening up these, these stores as franchises. You, you bought like the platform is so good. Um, and you bought into this company at a level where you're like, yeah, I was there looking at it and it was good. And so now we're in, um, how many of these locations are you standing up? How difficult are they to do? I'm assuming it's an amazing franchise to own. Like, how does, how does that feel? Like, that's a completely different thing for you. I had two partners um, who are good friends of mine, who are now my partners, but two friends of mine that were actually already talking to um, Black Rifle. And, um, gotcha. and when then my thing ended with La Tote, they're like, hey, Ted, we'd love to have you join our partnership and, and help us open mm. stores. And I think they're in a little bit of a standstill because of COVID. They slow down their kind of securing locations. And uh, so I was able to join with them and, uh, you know, find our first two locations in Oklahoma. One's in uh, Moore, Oklahoma, and the second one's in Quail Springs. And the third one, which will open at the end of May, will be in uh, Fort Worth, Texas. So... Very it's, cool. It, you know, and, and people ask me, Hey, so what's it like? And I go, it's, you know, to me, it was all about the experience, um, and, and learning something totally new, like coffee, you know, learning how to work the espresso machine, um, hiring the right staff, um, understanding what's important to drive consumer engagement, setting up a store, buying equipment, buying cups, the drive-through signs, the, you know, pricing, you know, you know, who's our competitors, um, is that, it's, I mean, it's, uh, it's, I would say that's been a, a very rewarding experience to learn. Um, and I think there, you know, obviously there's, there's challenges cause we were a store, I think three and eight right now, our first two. So early in the franchise process. Um, so it's still very like cool. growing pains kind of getting through it. Um, but the brand, um, resonates really well. Um, it's, you know, mm -hmm. it's, uh, you know, supporting veterans and first responders, you know, don't we, you know, we donate to local fire, police, schools, nursing. Um, it's, it's kind of fun to have a mission behind your brand and not just, you know, we're a brand selling coffee. No, we are actually, there's purpose. You know, we have customers coming in and go, Oh God, my son was uh, overseas and, and, and a pallet of black rifle landed. It was the best experience you've ever had. Hmm. Right. So, I think it's about that, that emotional connection with a brand and, and every brand has to find their unique way to do it. And I think Black Rifle is doing great things. I think just uh, with today's Friday on Wednesday um, in our two stores, we just had this amazing um, veteran Vietnam um, gathering. We had public speakers, we had pins and certificates from the White House. We handed it out, we were on the news and it was really about giving back, right? And yeah. uh, I'll send you a little clip, but it's, it was pretty cool. Um, and I think when yeah. you do things, um, and if you think about marketing, you do things from the right place, it, it pays it back in spades. It's like, it's sometimes it's kind of hard to do. It's like, Hey, you know, I give you this, I want that versus no, no, no. We're building this brand. We're building this loyalty. Um, and then it ends up paying back in spades on the brand. If that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah a million percent. I, I, uh, podcast it just, recorded a couple of days ago was with Brian Takumi yeah. who uh, uh, you would know Brian. Um, Brian is at the, at this point, basically the beating heart at Oakley's the last standing old school dude who actually understands the vision of all this stuff. And he's amazing. And, you know, it's a hundred percent about 
the emotional connection. That's, that's what it is. There's obviously in every world, doesn't matter if it's me and my wife, you and your wife, me and you, me and my staff, there is always, doesn't matter what it is. There's a transa transactional um, experience with every interaction you have as a human. It, it's just the way we're wired. And in my relationship with my wife, it's, I care for you. You care for me. I, I, I hold you up. You, you anchor me. These are the things it's not an economic um, transaction, but there is undoubtedly a transaction and brands that don't um, look at the emotional component of the transaction and only look at things as a commodity based transaction really, really struggle. That's what Red Bull wins because of their emotional connection with their community through all of the crazy events, whether it's just pure entertainment and that's the connection they're getting. The product is the product. It's fine. And, you know, but no one chugs a Red Bull or very few and go, ah, it's perfect <laughs> and refreshing on a summer day. Like it's just not, I it, 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 you know what I mean? And so you're, you're buying into that culture and, and the feeling that transactional experience that you're getting back from the brand is what you're actually buying. That's the, that's the key to the whole thing. Uh, and I love that. So yeah, black rifle, I think is amazing. And thank you for setting me straight on your guys' uh, um, uh, relationship. So I want to make sure I have everything correct. So I think that's awesome. Um, and I think that company is uh, actually amazing. Like, I love it. I've looked into them a bunch of times. I think they're really neat. Um, so you're, you're doing tons of stuff. And thank you again. You're on my board of advisors. And I really, really value your opinions. When you tell me, and I, I would assume everyone listening right now understands why you're someone that I would trust. Um, you are a really smart guy. And you tell it exactly how it is. And you're not afraid to bite the bullet when hard things come. Um Back to sort of the, some of the younger people or people who are dying to get into the position that they want to get into in life. And, and let's say that it's someone who wants to be a, a guy who works at Quicksilver or at Oakley or work for Black Rifle or these things. Um, it seems strange that someone can do all those things, but you, you didn't just get there. You've got this crazy hard work ethic and all these other things. <laughs> We're not here for the high rollers, snooty wine critics, or long-haul collectors, but we do think it's about time wine sellers turned into swoon-worthy works of art. Our experienced designers will bring your dream wine cellar to life, fitting any sized space and aesthetic requirements in your home. Our craftsmen carefully hand-build your cellar to give you a wine storage space that really feels like you. Visit themoderncellar.com for more information. What's your, like, if you're to give advice, which I'm sure you do, cause you're a parent and to your, your boys or, um, to friends, what's the key to success to get where you want to go when you're in your twenties? Yes. I'm just having these conversations with my, my, my two boys, you know, I have a, I have a freshman and sophomore in college and they're like, and they were kind of like. Hey, we'll figure this out. My own dad, I, I, you know, I want to figure out my internships. Right. So what am I going to do? What am I going to do in life? So, and I, and I tell, and I, and this probably applies to your audience. That's like, you know, trying to figure it out. Like I go, you guys don't know, right. I didn't know. And it's okay. Like to me, it's all about figuring out, get experiences out there. Um, and what I, so I'm telling my boys is, is just go out there and figure out how to network into you know, having a coffee with somebody. So I, I was telling one of my one of my, my son that goes USC. Hey, I had this great guy. Try to get his email. Shoot him an email. Ask him if you want to have coffee or shoot him a text. And and it's it's a numbers game, right? Because not everyone's gonna be responsive. But don't give up. It's like I go, hey, I, I, you know, you might have twenty coffees, and maybe something will come out of one. And and don't be afraid to say, hey, oh yeah, you mentioned. Do you know anyone else I could meet? It's it's the old networking game. Like, hey, do you have anyone else you can intro? And then you have kind of a, you know, you're going from this meeting to, oh, so-and-so recommended he talk to you. Um, and so I, it's a little bit about networking um, and then trying to lock in that, that, that job that you love. And it may not be easy, um, you know, and you may not love your first job, but you may love your boss. You may be able to learn something through your boss. Um, so to me, you know, your 20s is about learning. Um, trying to make everything, um, 
try to simplify everything and don't overcomplicate it. Um, and, and it sounds very simple, but I, 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 I tell my boys, I go, just work 20% harder, the person to your left and right, and you will be successful. Because I feel that this world is a little bit entitled nowadays. You know, you're going to have people who are going to want to, hey, can I work from home on Fridays? Can I, you know, can I do this? I do this. You're like, no, no, don't, don't be that guy. Um, just go grind. Um, and, and I think you'll shine. Um, and uh, like, like you said, go find, um, in a perfect world, you find a boss you love and a company you love. It may not happen day one, but, but find the parts that you do love and, and, and try to gain as much as you can from it, right? Because um, just to go back to me, I was a, I was a, I went to Berkeley and I went, I was an architect, and I was like, well, I don't know about this, and that's why I pivoted to USC and went to business school. Okay, let me let me go try something else. So I think um, it's okay not to know exactly what you want, but it's but it's not okay to sit on your hands. Just go try things. Oh, I don't like that. Go try things. I don't. Oh, I love that. Let's go do more of that. Um, and that that's the kind of advice I would give to anyone young and. and including my, my boys. And, and to be really honest, I still don't know what I want to be as an adult. And, uh, I, I actively do that. Like I have to work. I personally, I'm not like the most skilled human on the planet, but I'm able to do things one. Cause I sleep slightly less than everybody else. Uh, so I'm up and I, I'm not necessarily, I'm just doing more like just slightly more than everyone else. And I, prioritized doing more all the way through. It's the same way I had any success as an athlete, as a cyclist. I wasn't the fittest. I wasn't the strongest. I was just probably the most ruthless. And whenever I saw anything slowing down, I went and I attacked everybody. And it might've been to my detriment. I would have to pretend that it didn't hurt, but just ruthlessly attack. Whenever I saw any form of weakness, I would go in and I would put in that 20% in those instances, 200% more and just watch everyone else who had less willpower just get shed. And at the end of that attack of whatever I was doing, I would be holding on for dear life with whoever was left. But all it had to do was get me the finish line and then I'd beat them because I, I had a really clear uh ability at the end of a bike race to win and so but that's in my opinion i think your advice is really good is that uh, well uh, guy who used to own a skateboard shop in calgary uh his name is jerry cozan love the guy he was a person who's helped me out for years and he just looked at me one day and he said jamie a man who never took a chance never had a chance and that was his only advice to me and it is literally stuck with me to this day. And it's like the dumbest, most cliche thing ever, this Jerryism. But it's so factual. It's just like, go do it. Take a chance. Email that guy that you, at Nike and ask him for coffee. If you want to work at Nike, email the guy at Nike and ask him. Yes. Like you, you, you don't ask, you don't get. And that's step one. You're going to get turned down a ton. Get a thick skin. A ton. Uh, and one thing I'd say, another analogy I use to kind of going back to your bike thing you triggered is, is yes, you know, when you think about is, is, was when to grind to, right? So to me, I look at like when you're in your job, it's like, a, it's like running a marathon, right? You're you're going at a good pace. You're, you're doing your job, but there's these really hard moments where you just throttle it, right? And you just go extra hard mm -hmm. when Maybe someone doesn't want to go, doesn't want to do that. You're like, I'm the guy that's going to do it. I'm going to go an extra 20%. And those are those moments where you got to go find. You got to go find those moments where you can set yourself apart. So, you know, showing up every day and working late every day, I mean, that's sometimes not sustainable, you know, but when there's, when the shit hits the fan and, you know, the bosses are unhappy, like you're, that's when you go find, go that extra mile, come up with that extra idea do that extra analysis. That's when you shine, right? Trying to find those moments also, right? Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're a basketball guy, Ted. And so am I. Um, yep. We both share that in common. We both played a lot of basketball in our lives. I, I don't want a player that can run the floor all game. That, that actually is a useless skill. What I want is a, a, a clutch player. I want a clutch D guy and I want a clutch shooter. You, you need to be clutch. It's like you need to be so effective when you need to be effective and not afraid to take that shot. That's it. That's the end of it. Like you can't be afraid 
when you're sitting with a fully loaded set of flat uh, of um, personals to not go up and do the block when it's key in that game. You have to be good enough to do it. And that that kind of logic, it's interesting because you come from sport. I come from sport. Almost everyone that surrounds me in my world comes from athletics somehow. And that athletic, like that grit that is like that you only get from playground sports to competitive leveled sports where it's like you, you need to get kicked in the teeth and get beaten down so bad in a game that you understand that there is not always a winner. Like you, you need that lesson. You also need to know the pressure of holding the ball with one second. You need to be holding the pressure of grabbing the last gear you got on your bike and making, and you can't even see anymore to get over the top of the hill to hold on. You need, if you don't have those pressures, you're, you, you never learn it. No, those can be attained in other ways. Like I, 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 uh, I brought this out in another podcast. I love the show, the voice. I love it. And I don't love, I don't love the deeper episodes. I yeah. love the blind auditions for purely for the reason that you'll have someone who sometimes they're 13 years old. Sometimes they're 35, 40, but you have these people who go out in front of what, turns out to be, you know, it's probably a couple thousand live people with a few superstars in front of you. Uh, but you're in front of millions, literally, like you're singing your song in front of millions. And a lot of these people have never really done that in a huge thing like that. The pressure is unbelievable. You are by yourself on a stage in front of millions of people and you have to perform and it's incredible when they do. And it's heartbreaking when they don't. Uh, and there's nothing actually more pure than this because like it, it's, it's athletics just in a slightly different form. It's that last, you know, it's a tied game and you're in overtime. That's what it is for these people. And it's not athletics, but it's the direct analog against that same thing, just in an, in the artistic realm. It's amazing. And, but that can happen everywhere. It could be a chess tournament. It could be whatever it is. Sometimes you got to get gritty and you got to fight your way back through these things. So I, I love it. And so great advice. You need to get in there and go. Um, speaking of last uh, confessionals, I do a thing on my podcast called the cool confessional and sooner or later, I'm going to run out of these things, but basically Ted, the idea is like, I'm, you know, I'm a CEO in a company and I live in fear of, I've always sort of work my way to be, try to be a cool guy. I was an Oakley guy and, you know, I was an athlete, and da, 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 da. but I am like so flawed and I have so many goofy things that I do. I am far from a cool guy, but I want to just sort of release this stuff into the ether. Um, the uh, thing that I want to do in the cool confessional today, and I kind of let this loose in another podcast that's yet to air, uh, but I didn't use it in my cool confessional. Uh, you know, I surf and I'm a, kook like I can do it and I'm okay at it but like I did not grow up surfing I grew up on snow so my surf skills kind of suck um I was in uh Costa Rica do you remember Derek Height uh sports marketing for Oakley up in Canada back in your day yep. he is one of my best friends we were at his place in uh uh Costa uh on this insane break uh it was huge way bigger than I should be in uh, definitely way, way overhead. And I was doing fine, but I was probably in the water for about two hours at this point. I was paddling back out and I was like, I did a couple mistakes, cardinal mistakes, paddling back out. When I th said one more number yeah. one failure in my world is I, you never call your last run and you know that. And so I'm like, I'm paddling back out to catch one more. And I saw a set coming in. And I turned to go into it because I was paddling out and I turned the opposite way than I normally turn, which I don't know why I did it, but I did. I took yeah. the first one, which I never do. It's like the dumbest thing because I didn't see what was coming. Went to stand up on it. I was too late. I was standing up. I got up. I was like, okay, I'm late. And I pushed up to get on top of it anyways because I didn't want to go over the falls on the board i stood up and i was just in space there was no nothing below me just vert and so i was falling backwards kick flipped the board with my heel and the board started pinning and i 
put my leg down on it and put the thruster fin through my calf, oh. like all the way through my calf. And then I got buried. I got, I was on the bottom getting just washed leg pinned in the air board rattling around above me. Uh, got to this, got, I was underneath and I was sitting sort of down and I, there was something to grab onto a piece of coral or something. So I was sort of holding onto the bottom. My, my hand instantly went down and my fingers went up into my calf and I felt the bone. I was like, Oh, this is not good. Oh. And so anyways, I popped to the surface, got hit with an, the next wave. Yeah. Pushed right back down. And it was the first time in my life I wore one of those, like an actual like t-shirt rash guard. Usually I wear a tight rash guard. I was wearing a t-shirt one and it came up and over my head when I came up. And so I was waterboarding myself because this thing was over my head when I came to the surface. So anyways, long story short, I had to break my leash, tie it off, tie a tourniquet in open water. I then got caught in the rip that sucked someone out to sea the day before that person disappeared. Uh, there was great whites spotted the day before. And so I was panicking. I got myself to shore after about half an hour of paddling. Um, I got out of the rip and in Derek came all well and good. My leg got sewed up and you know, on we went, I went out to Derek's wedding eight months later in Tofino. And if you've ever surfed in Tofino, the waves are tiny. Like they're just curbs and you longboard and you're in full wetsuits and hoods. It's freezing. And I was paddling out, <clears throat> just did it wrong. Uh, in the, in the white washboard came up, hit me on the head. I had an instant panic attack and had to go sit on the beach. And I was like <laughs> freaked out. And I have not gone in the water since not on a surfboard. I have like, I was so scared. Derek came up to me on the beach and he's like, are you okay? You are white as a ghost. And I'm like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yeah, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. And he's like, you're not good. I'm like, nope, no, I'm not. I'm not good. <laughs> so anyways, my, my confession today is it's been a long time since I've been in the surf. I absolutely love it. I am so I'm, I have to get back into it. I might take you up and go into one of the amazing surf parks uh, that exist in the U S where it's a little more controllable. And then uh, get back, get my literally get my feet wet again on open water surf slowly because I scared the shit out of myself. So that's my confessional today is uh, I am desperately uh, uh, afraid that I'll have another panic attack in the water because I've never had that before. It was you gotta get back in. You gotta get back in the gotta water. Get back. Yeah, you got to get back on that horse. If I ever, if I got scared every time I fell off a bike, I would have never got back on a bike uh, after the age of five. And yeah. obviously, I've fallen off bikes my entire life. So I agree with you. Um, but that uh, that's my psychosis I need to get past. <laughs> so uh, feel free if you want to join in on the cool confessional. Uh, it doesn't have to be anything insane, but if there's something that helps uh, that you've never uh, shared to the real world feel free uh, to spill something. It doesn't have to be big, but, you know, feel free. I'm going to think of something that was fun, but I'll tell you a fun story, which is, tells. I, I think we're built a little bit about the same way, especially when we're in our younger days, call it late 20s, early 30s, you know, no kids, not a lot of responsibility, probably thinking more about yourself, which then you're like, okay, well, I'm only, you know, you're not thinking about, you know, things that could happen if something happens to you with your wife, your kids, your family, all that stuff. But I remember this one story. It's a good, it's a, it's a pretty good story. And it's a story of probably a little bit of stupidity. Um, I was down in Australia with uh, Tommy Rios, one of my old bosses, Colin Baden, Jamin Gennard. We're uh, I think we're in Manly beach at a bar It's probably 10 o'clock at night. We're drinking back in those days. We were probably drinking too much. Um, and we met mm. these guys that run the aquarium down there. Um, so they run the, the, the aquarium down there and we just hit it off. They're like, Hey, do you guys want to go swim with sharks? I'm like, what? Like, like, you know, Oakley macho. Yeah. 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 So next, you know, we're going into this aquarium. It's dark. They turn the lights on. They put wetsuits on. They put the, the scuba gear on. They go, Hey, you guys all know how to scuba dive. I don't. 
So I put this shit on just scared shitless. And they're like the, the advice. There's no really, there's not any big advice. They said, Hey, listen, be careful. Don't make any sudden movements because the sharks will think you're feeding them and they might nab at you. And the turtles that are going around this tank, um, don't stop. So if you get in a way of a turtle, they're going to fucking run you over. Um, so that, so we, that, I mean, we went into this tank illegally. There's four of us sitting there looking at these big ass sharks going around in circles, these big turtles, manta rays. Um, yeah, that's, uh, that's, uh, and I, and I'm kind of going back to your story, like shit in my pants. And I really don't like yeah. scuba diving. Like it's not on my bucket list. So like, let's go, to, you know, to the Bahamas and go scuba diving. It's not on my list. I don't, I kind of get a little claustrophobic. And uh, for me to do that back in those days was a little stupidity and probably of that, that Oakley culture back in the day that you probably were very familiar with, Jamie. I believe I um, Good or played bad. Matador. <laughs> yeah, I believe I pay, played Matador in Spain under a tiny amount of alcohol. Yeah. If you would, that was a, so I'm very familiar with the dumb things that you get into um, at Oakley yeah. back in the day. It was a real deal. Um, Ted, thank you. It's been yeah. enlightening. Uh, love to know a bit more about your career. I'd love to have you back. Um, I'd love to talk um, as you continue to evolve um, through all the amazing different projects that you're doing. I'd love to do a catch up with you probably in six months, a year, uh, just to find out where you sort of, you know, where you're going because you're always doing something different and interesting. Uh, best of luck with all the brands uh, you. that you're operating. Good luck with your new opening um, with your black rifle in, uh, what was it? Fort Worth, Fort no. Worth, Texas. Yep. Fort Worth. Yeah. Good, good luck with that. And people of Fort Worth, please go support that. That's going to be a, a great addition. Uh, everyone else, uh, thanks for joining in on the clubhouse. We will see everyone else, uh, in the future. See you in a couple of weeks. Thanks. Thank Ted. you. Have a good one. Take care, bro. Bye-bye. <laughs>